Hollywood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. How's everybody doing? Everybody awake, wide awake, ready to go? Please take out your Bibles and turn in them to the Gospel of Mark and chapter number 12 in the Gospel of Mark. You know, we live in a complicated age. We're very, very busy. In fact, we're frequently and often distracted by the flurry of activity of life. I mean, there's just so many things to do. You have your grocery list, you have your project list, you have your activity list. If you have kids, that means games and practices you have to get to. You have a ministry list, you have a prayer list. I mean, we need a smartphone or a computer to keep up with all of our lists. So much is happening. And then we end up buried in an avalanche of information. You know, we still get mail, the old-fashioned way, although most of it today seems to be junk. And then you add in the magazines and you add in the newsletters and the e-newsletters and the email, and then you got Facebook, and then you got Twitter, and then we have three 24-hour news stations, and then you can throw in the books and the radio programs and the seminars. And just keeping up with all of this is an impossible challenge. There is a blizzard of information out there. A number of years ago, I heard this saying, and I think this saying is a very good one. It says, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Boy, that's really true. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. That is true in everyday life, whether you are a student or whether you are a husband or a wife or whether you are a parent. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And that is true in the spiritual realm. With all the ministry activity, with all of the options, with all of the information out there, it's important that we remember that the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. So in the spiritual realm, what is most important? If you were going to boil it all down, what would it boil down to? What is the core essence of following Jesus Christ? And how confident are you even today that you are keeping the main thing, the main thing? Well, what if Jesus told us what the main thing was? That would help, wouldn't it? Well, actually, he has done that very thing. Jesus has done all the work for us. He's boiled it down to the main thing. He has simplified the spiritual life, and we're going to see that today in Mark chapter 12. We've been involved in a little series of messages that we have entitled Tricks and Truth, Life Lessons from the Savior, from Mark chapter 12. And I just will take you back to remind you that what's going on in this chapter is that the chief priests and the scribes and the spiritual leaders are out to trick Jesus. They're out to trap Jesus. They want to challenge his authority. They want to embarrass him, yes, but ultimately they want to eliminate him. And so what they do in this chapter is they approach him with a particular trick, a particular trap, and then Jesus counters back at them with truth. And we see a third episode of this in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 34. And so I invite you to follow along in your Bibles as I read this portion. Verse 28, these words are recorded. One of the scribes came 
and heard them arguing and recognizing that Jesus had answered them well, asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? And Jesus answered and said, the foremost is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The scribe said to him, right, teacher, you have truly stated that he is one, and there is no one else besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one would venture to ask him any more questions. Now, as we've seen in this little series, we're going to approach this the same manner. We're going to first look at the trick, the trap that they lay for Jesus, and then we want to look at the truth that Jesus responds with, and we're going to see truth again today is two-pronged. So I just want to remind you, there's been these series of tricks and traps, and last week we saw the trick, the trap that was laid by the sad you sees. Remember that? And in verse 28, we have another trick, another trap stepping forward. And when you look at verse 28, you might think, wait a minute, this this doesn't really seem like a trick or a trap. One of the scribes heard the previous arguments and interchanges and recognizing that Jesus answered them well, he came to Jesus and he said, what commandment is the foremost of all? Is that really a trick? Is this really another trap? Well, this is one of the advantages we have in having multiple Gospels. Keep your finger here and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 22. Matthew 22, and we want to begin looking at verse 34, at a parallel passage to this event. Notice Matthew 22 and verse 34. Notice it says, but when the Pharisees heard, verse 34 that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees. They gathered themselves together. Why did they do that? They said, we have to come up with another idea. We have to come up with another trick that will allow us to trap and embarrass and ultimately eliminate Jesus. And so, one of them, verse 35, a lawyer asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? So notice that, verse 35, a lawyer asked him a question, testing him. The New Living Translation translates this verse this way. He tried to trap him with this question. So you see, this was the idea again. It's just another round of a trick or a trap of Jesus. Now, if you go back to Mark chapter 12, And you look at verse 28, here comes the question. What commandment is the foremost of all? Now, in order for us to really understand the dynamic of why that question would be asked, you need to have a little bit of background. In the oral law, and by the way, that's how the moral teaching was passed on, primarily through oral instruction, 
The oral law, as developed by the scribes and the Pharisees, involved 613 commandments. There were 365 negative commandments, one for each day in the calendar, and there were 248 positive commandments. In other words, they came up with 365s, do not do whatever. And then they had 248 positives, these are the things you are to do. And you need to understand that the scribes and the Pharisees invested a lot of time analyzing the law. They were always looking for more ways to apply it, and they were always adding more and more details to it. So by you have Jesus' day, there's 613 commandments there. 365 don't do that. 248, you ought to do this. And you can imagine the bigger this whole system became, the harder it was to teach to people. How do you summarize all of that stuff down? It gets to be so big, it's hard to communicate. And so another thing they began to do is they began to think about how can we synthesize all of this? How can we summarize all of this? How can we simplify 613 commandments? And this became actually a a common challenge that would go out, would be thrown out among the scribes and the Pharisees. And, And so what they would do is they would get into debates about this. How can we summarize it down? And they would actually get into bickering and one-upmanship back and forth, finding the best way to summarize it all down. Now, knowing all of that, it's important to understand another event that had happened in the context in general of this question being asked. And that is, there was a Gentile, someone who was not a Jew, who decided he was going to pose a challenge to Hillel, who was really one of the leading, if not the leading, Pharisees and scribes of the day. And this Gentile came up to Hillel, and he basically said this, I will become a proselyte. I will convert to Judaism if Hillel will summarize the law, the 613 commandments, while he is standing on one foot. That was actually the challenge that was put out to him. You stand on one foot and you summarize the law while you're standing on that one foot and I'll convert to Judaism. What do you think Hillel did? He picked up the challenge. And this is what he said while standing on one foot. He said, what you yourself hate, do not do to your neighbor. That is the whole law The rest is commentary. Go and learn it. Now, that became a little legend in the religious community. Hillel summarizing the law while standing on one foot. And part of the background of this question coming up was this. How is this guy from Nazareth going to stack up to Hillel? And, of course, their anticipation was nobody can come up with a better answer than Hillel did. Whatever he says will be inferior to Hillel, and then we can undermine his authority with the people, and ultimately we can eliminate him. So understanding all of that background, now you understand why he would say to Jesus, what commandment is the foremost of all? And you have to understand, there was this chuckling going on in the background, just this anticipation of, wow, let's watch him answer this one. And Jesus gives an answer. And we see here that there's a two-pronged answer. He says, well, the foremost is that you hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. 
And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And what Jesus did is he said there's two dimensions involved here. And he's quoting, first of all, in verses 29 and 30, he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. He says there is a vertical dimension, a Godward dimension And then in verse 31, he quotes Leviticus 19.18. He says, there is a horizontal dimension, a manward dimension. And, you know, actually, that's very helpful for us. You know, when we live life in the fast lane, and we say there's so much to do, there's so many activities, there's so much information, there's this avalanche of data, it's easy to lose your bearings. I don't know if you ever feel that way. It just seems like there's so much out there that we forget to keep the main thing the main thing. And Jesus lays it out for us here in these two dimensions, the vertical dimension and the horizontal dimension. So what I want to do is take a look to look at these two prongs of just summarizing it down to the core. And the first prong involves loving God. You want to talk about the main thing and keeping the main thing the main thing The first prong of that is loving God. Now, as we look at that, I want to clarify two things related to loving God. The first one is this, that loving God is more than having warm feelings. Sometimes we think, well, loving God means that I have these warm thoughts. And we may have warm thoughts, but that's really not what loving God is all about. In the New Testament, we learn that love is a verbal thing. By that, I mean... As we look at 1 Corinthians 13, love is made up of verbs. Love is this, love is this, love is this, love is this. It's verbs. It's doing things. In other words, love, in a biblical sense, is demonstrated by our actions. It's demonstrated by the way that we live our life. Do you love God? It would be demonstrated by the way, not you have warm feelings, but how do you live your life? It's demonstrated by the character that we manifest. So that's the first thing I want us to note about loving God. The second thing is this. When it comes to loving God, it's not to be something we do in a half-hearted way, sort of a low-priority approach. And Jesus emphasizes that here as he quotes from Deuteronomy. You shall love the Lord your God, which is expressed in actions, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And what I want to do is I want to look at those different dimensions. First, he says we are to love God with all our heart. Our heart is the seat of our personality. It is the control center of our life. In Romans 10, it says, with the heart a man believes. And what this is really saying is that when it comes to the control center of our life, we love him with all of that. Now, the reason why I think this is so important is because, and I know my own life, what we tend to do with God is we tend to give God partial control. When it comes to the control center of our life, we give him just partial control. We'll say, yeah, I'll follow you, but what I I need you to do is I need you to stay away, God, from the financial part of my life. Stay away from my billfold, 
Stay away from my wallet. Stay away from my checking account. Because, see, I want to be in control of those things. We tend to give him partial control. We do that a lot of different ways. Here's one way that we tend to give him control. I'll give you control of my life. Sunday is yours. Sunday is yours. Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday. Now, I'm, I'm the king of that. I'm the one who determines how that gets done. See, we tend to give him partial control. A lot of times, people will do that with their sex life. Oh, I'll follow you. I'll live your way. I'll demonstrate that with my actions and my character. But when it comes to that part of my life, excuse me for a minute, I want to do this my way. I want to make my own choices. And Jesus says if we're going to love God, we love God with all our heart. He says you love God with all your heart and with all your soul. The soul is um, all of our conscious life makes up our soul, including our emotions. And I think what this really means is, is that we don't love God in some kind of laid back, you know, way back here, emotionless, like yawn. There should be passion in our active love for God. We love God with all our heart, with all our soul. And then he says we're to love God with all our mind. In other words, we're to use our intelligence. This means that we're to take time to reflect and to meditate on who God is on what God has done, what God is doing, what God will do. Do you take any time to do that? See, that's part of what it means to love God. And then we're to love God with all of our strength. That means we are to live it out with all the abilities that God has given to us. And God has given you a lot of abilities and a lot of gifts and a lot of strengths. And that means we live out our love for him with all of that employed. If I were going to summarize what it means here to love God, it would be this. Love God with everything you've got. Love God with everything you've got. Now, I want you to just think about that phrase. Love God with everything you've got. Anybody here arrived at that? No. Because we're not perfect. We fall short. But here's the question. Are you even aiming at that? When you start your week on Monday, is that part of your aim? To love God with everything you've got? And it's even possible, if we were going to be honest, that some of us have really been holding back. Have you been holding back? See, keeping the main thing the main thing involves loving God with everything you've got. So the first prong is is loving God. It's the vertical, the Godward dimension. But then there's a second prong, which is loving others. This is the horizontal, the manward dimension. Look at verse 31. He says there, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Keep your finger here and turn with me several pages to the right to the book of Romans and chapter number 13, to Romans 13. And here we have this same concept expanded slightly, worded a little differently. 
that we are to love our neighbor as ourself. This is part of keeping the main thing the main thing. Notice Romans 13, verse 8. He says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Then you have these commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, he says, it's summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong, verse 10, to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You can journey back to Mark 12. But let's think about that for a moment. What does that really mean? You love your neighbor as yourself. Have you not noted that we have an innate tendency? We have an innate tendency, and that innate tendency is to protect ourselves. That innate tendency that we have is to care for ourselves. That innate tendency we have is to provide for ourselves. I mean, have you not noticed that? Have you not noticed that when you are hungry, you are ravaged by hunger, what do you do? You feed yourself. When you are cold, what do you do? You cover yourself. When you are tired and utterly exhausted, what do you do? You present yourself with sleep. We are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. What do we do with ourselves? When you are faced with a need, what do you do? You meet it. And that's the idea here. Loving God can be summarized by loving God with everything you've got. Loving others can be summarized this way. Love others by meeting needs. Love others by meeting needs. And you notice he says, you shall love your neighbor. Who does that include? Well, that's just the people on this side of our apartment and that side of our apartment. Or if you live in a house, well, that just means the people who live on the left and the right and across the street and behind us. No, no, that's not the idea. When it says we're to love our neighbor as ourselves, that would include the people that we work with. That would include the people at church. That would include the people in your school. That would include your family. In fact, it includes anyone that God places in your path. And the idea is we love others is that we treat them as we wish we could be treated ourselves. Now, let me give you a great question to ask yourself as you encounter people and they have needs. Here is the question. You ought to write this down because this is a great mindset to have. As you encounter someone who has a need, you ask yourself this question, if I were them, how would I want to be treated? See, a lot of times people go, I don't know what to do with this person or that person or this need or that need. Just ask yourself the question, if I were them, how would I want to be treated? And you'll have your answer. Now, I want you to notice there's a postscript to all of this in verses 32 and 33 of Mark 12. The scribe says to Jesus, right, teacher, you have truly stated these things. And notice in verse 34, 
By the way, you notice there's a little different spirit with this guy than the previous tricks and traps. There's just something going on in this guy's heart that's not quite the same as the, the previous confrontations. He goes on to say, these things about loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. It goes way beyond all these religious duties that we have. And notice verse 34, when Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And then I like the last part of verse 34. And after that, no one would venture to ask him any more questions. You know, Jesus just basically shut them up. We shot our whole wad of various kinds of tricks and traps. Us just stop now because he keeps coming with truth that we cannot debate. Now, we've looked at what Jesus had to say here, and we looked at the truth, the two-pronged truth that he kicked back in the face of their trick and their trap. But guess what comes next? The next thing we want to talk about is some life response. You know, we've looked at this truth that Jesus lays out, but what is our life response supposed to be? And the first thing I want to talk about is life response regarding loving God. And there's two things I want you to note that are prerequisites to loving God. If that's keeping the main thing the main thing, there are two prerequisites to loving God. And the first one is you must have a relationship with him if you're going to love God. You know, it's interesting how Jesus says to this man, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Now, that was both a compliment and a challenge to this man. It was a compliment to him because Jesus is saying, you are facing truth honestly. You are letting the word of God and the scripture define truth, and that's a good thing. But it was also a challenge, an exhortation to the man because Jesus was saying to him, you're still a step away. You're almost there, but you're not there. You see, you can be within an inch of heaven and still end up in hell. And here's a concern that I have. My concern is that we have people who come to Wildwood, and they even come fairly regularly to Wildwood, but they're not far from the kingdom of God. Oh, they're around things, but they're not yet there. See, it's really easy to be around the church. It's really easy to play the church game, and we get up, and we go on Sundays, and maybe we even come to another event. Maybe you even have Christian parents. Maybe you've even studied some theology, and maybe you know the Bible to some level. But that doesn't mean that you have a relationship with the living God. Jesus said, you're not far, but you're not there yet. And I'm always concerned that we may have people who are in that same predicament. You're not far, but you're not there yet. For the scribe, what he needed to do is, by faith, he needed to see Jesus for who he was. And for us today... 
What we need to do is, by faith, we need to look to the cross of Jesus Christ. See, it's not about going to church. It's about establishing a relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. And that involves the cross. That involves us saying to God, my goodness, the things that I do to try to get in good graces with you are inadequate. It's not about church. It's not about church. It's not about church. It's about coming to know the living God. And so I have a concern that we may have some among us who, while they're close, they're not there yet. And I just want to ask you, are you holding back? Are you holding back for some reason? Not stepping through the door of faith to say, I want to come to know Christ personally? You know what I find intriguing about this passage? We don't know how the scribe responded, do we? Well, how about you? Are you ready to respond by looking to the cross by faith, to confess your own sin and your own inadequacy, and to come into a living relationship with the God of the universe? When it comes to loving God, there are two prerequisites. The first one is you must have a relationship with him. Secondly, you must understand his love for you. In 1 John 4, 19, it says, we love because he first loved us. And the idea is that more, the more we can grasp the love of God, the more we can respond with love back to him. We love because he first loved us. You must understand his love for you. And we see the love of God in God's general provision for us. I like the way Ray Steadman put it. He put it this way. Man's responsibility is to respond to God's love, which is reaching out to us on every side, reaching out in nature, reaching out in the supply of all that is being given to us day by day. We are never to forget that the things that we enjoy, the food, the air, the sunshine, the shelter, the air conditioning when it's so hot, all of these material things of life that we need, they come from the hand of God. It is God who gives them. It is God's goodness protecting us and sheltering us and watching over us. And if we're going to love God, we need to understand his love for us. And part of that is his general provision. You know, you don't go a week without thanking God for all of these things. Just assuming that you earned all of them. God has provided all of them. There's an endless well of thanksgiving that is available to us. We see the love of God not only in God's general provision for us, but we see it in his provision of salvation. God demonstrates his love for us. How did he do it? How did he show that he really loved you? The God of the universe became a man and came down to this planet for one primary purpose, and that was to die in your place, to give his life up, to pay the ransom that your sin and my sin demanded. 
While we were yet sinners, while we were yet helpless, there wasn't anything we could do about it, while we were yet the enemies of God because we were rebelling, wanting to do things our way, he came to the planet, climbed on the cross for you and for me. So if we're going to love God, it means we need to have a relationship with him and we must understand his love for us. Loving God with everything you've got. Now, how, do, how does that get expressed, loving God with everything you've got? I want to suggest a couple of ways it gets expressed. First of all, it, get expressed, it gets expressed by praising him, by thanking him, by honoring him, by saying everything that I have, the job, the privileges I have, the blessings that I have, the food that I have, the clothes that I have, the things that I have, all of these things are gifts from your hand. And to praise him for his death in our place. How long has it been since you spent a week in incredible personal worship just thinking about the fact that he loved you enough to die for you? You see, that's part of how we love God with everything we've got. We express it by praising him. And here's another way that we express it. We love God with everything you've got by obeying him. By obeying him. Jesus said this in John 14, 21. Listen, listen to what Jesus said. He said, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. You know what that really means? And women, it means that there should not be a wide gap between what we know and what we live. Oh, there's always going to be some gap there because we're not perfect people. But what it really means is there should not be a wide gap between what we know and what we live who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. Now, let's talk about some life response that we can have when it comes to loving others by meeting needs. How do I respond and live that out of my life? Well, wherever you go this week, and we're all going to go in different directions and be doing different things, wherever you go this week, be a need meter. M-E-E-T-E-R. Be a need meter. As you encounter people and as you find out that they have a need, what you do is you become a need meter. And here's a grid, again, it's so important, through which you can view them. As you come across somebody who has a need, remember the grid. If I were them... How would I want to be treated? And men and women, there are so many opportunities for that to happen in real life. This past week, I was over at my mother's house, and uh, she's had some kind of a varmint in the attic. And uh, I don't, we, we think it's a squirrel, but it could have been a possum. And so we've been involved in uh, trying to trap that thing and trying to close down the, finally discovered how they were getting in and all this sort of thing. And so... I was over at her house, and we were out in her front driveway, 
when a minivan went driving by, a relatively new minivan, and uh, I could hear something scraping on the street, you know, and they pulled in to the next door neighbors, and, and this mother got out with her kids, and they, they ran into the house. And then a little while later, um, they came back out, getting into the car, and so I walked over there. And I said, you know, I noticed that when you pulled up, I heard this scraping sound on the street. And she says to me, well, you know, you know that little plastic guard thing that goes right under the front of the bump, bumper? She said, you know, somehow I, I hit that and, and it loosened and it was dragging. She, she said, I had grabbed some duct tape and I kind of duct taped it up and it's now dragging again on the ground. And I said, you know what? And he said, I said, do you still have the duct tape? And she said, yeah. I said, why don't you let me take care of that? So, you know, I'm in these kind of work clothes, and I'm down on the ground under the minivan, you know, freshly duct taping this permanent solution <laughs> to a problem. But you see, that's the idea. See, when you're in need meter, you're just looking, and when you see a need, you think, if I were them, how would I want to be treated? And it was a real joy for me to be able to help her out. A family drives off, nothing scraping on the ground. That's the idea, you see. As we encounter these needs, if I were them, how would I want to be treated? Do you know that keeping the main thing, the main thing, pleases the heart of God? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for the word, and it's so alive, it's so real, and we thank you for Jesus here who helps us to just with all of the information that's out there and all the activity, just to boil it down and to remember how we can keep the main thing the main thing. And part of that involves loving you with everything we've got. Giving you praise and thanks and gratitude and obeying you. Father, if we've got way too wide of a gap between what we know and how we live, would you remind us of that? And then, Father, we know that part of this involves loving others by meeting needs. So often we're so selfish, we're sitting there thinking, why isn't somebody meeting my needs when what you've called us to do is to meet the needs that we come across? May we be men and women who understand the reality of this and how much it can please the heart of God. And Father, for any who are hearing this and have never yet Maybe they're close, maybe they're near, but they're not there yet. We pray that they would come by faith to the cross and say, I want to trust in the living God. I want a relationship with him. Thank you for the privilege that we have to honor you, honor you with our life. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.